It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and my sidekick, the mysterious one, Bliss Young. Welcome, Bliss. Hi, thanks. You can find us on iTunes or in your podcast app. You can find us on Instagram at Birthing Instincts or at Birthing Bliss. Is that on Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. Uh, Birthing Bliss Midwifery. Birthing Bliss Midwifery. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on, you can't find us on Twitter or Pinterest, (laughs) right? We're not there. No. Okay. I'm imagining your Pinterest. This is podcast number 144, so it's going to be gross. Why? See? She doesn't even remember that. No, I don't. You know what a gross is? A dozen dozen. Ah. (laughs) I worked all morning on that (laughs) on that line. (laughs) So I was like, why is one forty four? So yeah, so um, Bliss just came Bliss just got her her bottom's a little red because we took her out to the woodshed (laughs) because uh, she wanted to schedule the podcast early and then she showed up late. Oh so naughty. Yeah, you're so naughty. So naughty, sorry. So we got to spanking. Which, of course, you were laughing about earlier. You said that's maybe not a bad thing. I mean, there are some people that like <laughs> that sort of thing. I enjoy that. But that's too much information. Although not for a, a podcast 144. No, because it's gross. Because it's gross. <laughs> we should have liked the gross things. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, let's get right uh, right into it because... Wait. Oh, got, oh, go ahead. What's the grossest thing that ever happened at a birth? I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> no, we talked about everything. Okay. Okay, let's well, get right could, into why it. Why don't you give Why don't you give your uh, grossest thing that ever happened? What's birth? the grossest thing? Now I have to think about it. You're yeah, right. besides, you know, <laughs> the, even the grossest thing is still a normal thing that happens at birth, isn't it? Sort of. Maybe, except for like when you get squirted in the eye with like something. I mean, that's just you know what I mean. It's not like yeah, it's not like a bodily function. It's just or in your mouth. Like I remember the one time we were with Alex and uh, we were doing a birth, and one of you like snapped your gloves and it went in the other person's oh, mouth. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Taking those, you know, even when you try to take them off carefully, sometimes that happens. Yeah, I mean, we're used to bodily functions. Oh, I remember uh, I did a, I was doing a birth with Beth once and I was using a vacuum and I, the vacuum popped off and the, the wall, got, white wall got completely splattered with blood. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty gross, I guess. Pretty gross. But okay. the, uh, the doula got it all off the wall. It was amazing. Yay, doula. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. I don't even know what she used to get it off the wall, but it, it usually, if you get it quickly, it usually comes No, I don't think we got it days later. Right? Oh, <laughs> dang. <laughs> um, so, listen, uh, our last podcast, there was some uh, Meghan Markle controversy. And, and uh, finally, mm-hmm. so we can now say, I don't know when this one's going to air, but we can now say that Meghan Markle has had her baby. She, Congratula- for sure we know Congratulations, that. the Duchess of Sus- Sussex. Yes, right. congratulations. Name the baby Archibald, which mm-hmm. I love. Remember we were doing the names that one time? Yeah, that's not a name that I've seen Mm-mm. in all my career. No, it sounds like something from Harry Potter. Yeah, well, it's a very British name. Huh. That's what you think royalty. They're going to call him Archie, which is perfect. Cute. It's totally cute. Yeah. Weighed seven pounds, three ounces. Mm-hmm. She did not. Yeah, below She average. did not have her baby at home. Uh, are you confirmed this? Yes. They called you and told you? No. <laughs> No. How do we know? Because I've seen conflicting things. It I seems kind of I've mysterious. I've seen so many stories this morning that, that she had a baby at the hospital. Okay, I didn't look But she wasn't morning. rushed to the hospital or anything like that. She had the baby at the hospital. I don't know the details. Mm-hmm. I do know that uh, she's done a lot of good by bringing up the idea that she was thinking about a home birth. Because it, I think it, she it, desired it, it. it. She desired it. It's mm-hmm. also sparked a lot of um, discussion about it, some of which has been... Um, Productive and uh, 
and and respectful and some of it which has been ridiculing and disrespectful. You mean the, the like gentleman the, at the, the American ACOG College meeting? of OBGYN? Mm-hmm. And that my colleagues at this thing were, were snickering and laughing? Yep. At this sort of thing? I uh, remember back two years ago when I attended the ACOG meeting in San Diego that uh, they were talking about VBAC and they mentioned the home VBAC from the speaker and in the audience went up this sort of snickering, uh, twittering, laughing at the idea of having a home VBAC. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously that it would be worse if we were talking about breaches or twins, but the idea that that something that is becoming accepted and something that in countries like England is actually preferred for low-risk women, especially low-risk multiparous women, for the leading organization in the United States to laugh and snicker about it Mm-hmm. is really a, a black mark on them. Yep. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that they'll care mm-hmm. because generally people who are arrogant in positions of power do not care what other people uh, think. But it's, it was really upsetting to see that. And uh, shame, on them. shame on them. Mm-hmm. Did you right. hear me? Their what are showing? Their panties are showing. Is that, uh, <laughs> is that a way of saying... It's like it's like you're caught with your pants. Down. It's like you know. Well, you're but just but half half the millennial population walks around with their underwear showing, don't they? <laughs> what do they call that? Uh, sagging. Sagging, correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's right. a different culture. Right. I'm so tempted to want to give those guys snuggies, though. God. Snuggies is like when you pull it up. Yeah, pull it up over their head. <laughs> Used to do that at camp. <laughs> I wonder what they would do if you just walked up. Oh man, they'd probably shoot me. Yeah, probably not a good idea. Not a good idea. Don't do that. No, I won't do that. Okay. You can do that. <laughs> no, I can get shot? Great. <laughs> no, they, 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 they treat you differently. Oh. You, you're not, uh, you have you have some of the right um, diversity qualifications to do, I do? things that oh, I can't. Because I'm a woman. Because I can't do it anymore, right? Because I'm a woman? Yeah, you're a woman. You're, mm. I think you're part Hispanic, aren't you? No. You're not? Oh. But I like that you think I am. I thought you were. That I'm you're, Latina. I know, I know your kids are. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, that came from the other <laughs> half. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, it all fits together. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So congratulations to uh, Harry and Markle. <laughs> Megan. <laughs> I love that name, though. Markle? She sh- yeah. She should go by the Duchess, the Duchess of Sussex is more appropriate. Don't you think? Then. Markle. Markle? <laughs> Markle sounds like something off of a TV show. It reminds you of that guy. Merkel or something, yeah. whatever his mm-hmm. name was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so a couple things about that. Um, I did read an article about this. As I said, there were some articles that were respectful and looked at the issue of home birthing as being something that is worthy of discussion, and other articles were just ridiculing. And here's one that was published um, uh, about four days ago, three days, three, four days ago, where they were talked to a, mid, a midwife, uh, the head of the... De- Deputy Head of Midwifery of Private Midwives in um, Britain. And she has warned that due to the Duchess of Sussex's age at having her first child, she is at higher risk of a shocking condition should she opt for the child to be born outside of the hospital. How old is she? Well, she must be over 35. Mm -hmm. I don't know how old she is. (laughs) Oh, 30. Actually, I think she's 37. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. think she's 37. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I just, the whole idea that, even the language, Mm -hmm. a shocking condition because she's over 35. There's an increased chance of 35 of developing gestational diabetes, placenta previa, 
having a breech presentation or having a baby of low or high birth weight. Now, she does say, however, that these complications can be ruled out in pregnancy, and I am sure the Duchess of Sussex has had been advised of any concerns. So she trusts that the Duchess of Sussex has had good prenatal care. And can be screened for a home birth correct. prior to going into labor. There's also an increased chance of experiencing a preterm birth, postpartum hemorrhage, stillbirth, or maternal death, uh, also influenced by other factors such as blood pressure and diabetes and that sort of thing. So one of the things that I've noticed in, in this article and several other articles I've reviewed for the podcast we'll be doing in the future is that when people say there's an increased risk, and we've talked about this before, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. It means nothing. Okay, because what does that mean, increased risk? Instead of one in a million, it's two in a million? Right. Right. So... I hate when people do that. If they're going to say something is increased risk, they need to define what that means. Otherwise, it's just bullshit. It's just scare tactics. Totally scare tactics. And isn't that true for any woman that's pregnant, that there's a risk of those things? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But she's saying because she's over 35, Mm -hmm. ageism, so to speak, you know, she's picking on a woman, because of this arbitrary number, which we've discussed before, of why 35? 35 has no bearing on anything in the modern era. 35 came from a time when amniocentesis was performed without ultrasound, and the risk of miscarriage equaled the risk of Down syndrome. And for some reason, that number has been carried on ever since. I mean, why not 34? Why not 36? Mm-hmm. Why not 37? I mean, if, if, if 70 is the new 50... <laughs> then how come 42 isn't the new 35 or something like that? It definitely is in my book. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so enough of that about Megan. Thank you. Uh, Aren't you glad that you won't be getting so many updates now when you're searches? Oh, you know what? It's, it's crazy now because now it's all about... The baby. The baby, the naming, the, uh, the, uh, the birth itself, where it was, why they were there, uh, who was there. What does the queen think about it? You know. Yeah. What does the queen think? I about don't know. I'm it? sure no. she's delighted. I'm sure she's delighted. So what this would be a this would be a a great another it's a great grandchild, right? Yeah. Harry was a grandchild, so it's a great grandchild. So mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. Good. Good for the queen. I hope she lives keeps living a long time. This child is now seventh in line for the throne. Mm. And it's a it's an interracial baby. First one. Yeah. Recorded history, anyway. Yeah. That's a big deal. Uh, Is it? It is to the black community, yes. Oh, good. Well, then good. Then I'm I'm celebrating. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's a big deal. Right. So we're we're happy. Lots of changes over there. So that baby can now get into, can have lower scores, test scores, and still get into college. Be careful. <laughs> well, because because standards don't matter anymore. Mm. It's it's you know it's the color of your skin or the or the, your gender or your uh, no, that's race, gender, class. Yeah, race, gender, class. Right. That's all that matters. Or lack of class. Or lack of class. Let's move on. <laughs> we are gross today. Okay. So another study. I think this one's out of um, let's see, England as well. And uh, here's a headline. Let me just uh, see if how you feel about this headline. Extra late-term scan could reduce the need for cesarean. Extra late-term scan could reduce the what? Need for cesarean. What's the extra late-term? It just means having a scan at 36 weeks in the, in the last month can reduce the need for cesarean. Yeah, not likely. 
Well, this this study says it can, and I'm yeah. going to explain to you why. Okay. But I will tell you that everything else before that has shown that by doing an unnecessary scan <laughs> in the last month of pregnancy increases your rate of cesarean by I, 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 this number 22% sticks in my head, but I I'm not sure if that's the right number, yeah, but it certainly fine. increases it because then they begin to find things like lowish fluid mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know smallish baby or biggish baby or those sorts of things. So. Um, they go on to say, this is an article from, uh, I'm not sure where it's from, the Press Association. It's a British article. It says, thousands of emergency cesareans could be avoided in the United Kingdom every year by scanning women in late pregnancy, research has suggested. You know, that reminds me of a, of a Second City TV skit where they would say, you know, researchers say, and they would have John Candy in a white coat looking like a, a sort of a moron, you know, <laughs> saying... Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> People who in my age might remember Second City TV. It was great stuff. Um, so do they not do standard scans in uh, No, England? the British Health Service offers us usually two scans, one early and one at 20 weeks. Yeah. And then they'll do scans as indicated, but they don't really have good. other scans, which is, you know, which is good. I yeah, mean, it's great. Way too much scanning going on. Yeah. Why can't we be more like England? Yeah, there's an old. I have an earlier podcast mm. a long time ago. I think it might have been even with Brian, where the title of the podcast is "How many scans does it take to make a ba- How many ultrasounds does it take to make a baby?" <laughs> <laughs> you might want to check that one out. That was a, in the archives someplace. They say a routine ultrasound at 36 weeks would help detect babies in the breech position. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say that. Yeah, that's probably true since since we don't have clinical skills anymore. Yeah, but they use a lot of midwives, right? So midwives do. Well, they're saying that midwives mis- missed 55% of uh, breaches Ooh. at term. Um, maybe, maybe their skills aren't so good. Well, I just think that's a loss of kin- clinical skills. Uh-huh. I, just, I just do. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. You know, I mean, I, I'm wrong quite not, not whenever I'm... Like when I see a breach consult or I see a consult for somebody, I... Always do a Leopold's maneuver before I do my consult with the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And occasionally I'll say, you know, this feels like I had down here. And then it's a butt. So, I, you know, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it's, you, you, even skilled people can be wrong. But the idea that, that we need to do, we should do, all women should have an ultrasound at 36 weeks to determine who's breach. You know, if we taught breach skills, then why would it matter so much? Yeah. It shouldn't matter that much, should it? No. True. Okay. All right, so um, they performed 36-week ultrasounds in 3,879 women, and they discovered breach in 4.6%, so that's a uh, slightly above average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in more than half these cases, the breach had presentation had not been previously suspected. We estimate that the, in the United Kingdom-wide, routine scanning could prevent about 15,000 undiagnosed breach presentations, more than 4,000 emergency cesarean sections, and between seven to eight baby deaths per year. Okay. So I'm assuming that they're saying that everyone who's found to be breached would have a scheduled C-section mm-hmm. instead of a vaginal delivery. <laughs> in England, do they do breach? They don't do vaginal breach either? I think that they do in some places, but according to this mm-hmm. paper, it makes it seem like the whole point is to find breaches and section them before they could become a problem. Or maybe help turn them. Or maybe help turn them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when they do these routine ultrasounds on these people, how many of them are going to find these other d- indications we talked about, like your fluid's a little bit low, and then start that whole cascade yeah. of interventions and anxiety production that leads to you know a, ba- a you know a worse outcome? 
And then, by the way, if, we, if we're going to section all these women, we've talked many times about the fact that, that, that there's no consideration for the effect on the mother or the baby or the mother's future babies when we're doing all these extra C-sections. Right. So, you know, a lot of these breech babies, at least 70, 80% of breech babies can probably be properly selected, they can probably be delivered vaginally. Agreed. So if they're picking up 15,000 undiagnosed breaches, and they say there's more than 4,000 emergency cesareans, that would, I would suspect the other 11,000 are probably scheduled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if 70%, that's, that's, that's like 12,000 women who could probably deliver vaginally if they knew what they were doing. Yep, go over there, advocate. Oh Teach. yeah, that's working. That's working really good. <laughs> and here's here's a kicker, by the way. They said that we also looked into the costs of additional scans and found that if scans could be done for less than twelve pounds, twelve point nine pounds each, it would cost savings to the it would it would be a cost savings to the National Health Service. So that's about fourteen dollars or fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. So where are you going to get a scan done anywhere for fifteen dollars? Maybe maybe their system is way different than ours. Everything's not so inflated because we don't have the insurance companies and all of that involved. Their motivations are going to be different than ours because it's not it's not private healthcare, right? So they're going to want to do things that are going to save money. They're actually going to be interested in not doing as many C sections because it costs more than having a vaginal delivery. Like their their motivations are different. Yeah, so they should teach breach and twin skills. Yes, write them a letter. <laughs> Tell them they it would save money. Well, to the British listeners, all right, you call, you know call your uh, your. We MPs. don't know. <laughs> call your call your MPs. That's members of Parliament for people. See, that Stu knows. Yes. I didn't know. Uh, but I just don't see again. I mean, twelve dollars and ninety cents. I mean, twelve pounds. 12, yeah. Nine, 90, 90 yeah, pence. I get your point from our perspective. I just don't know in their culture if that's like actually right reasonable. So anyway, that's a that's another thing. You, a lot of stuff out of the UK. For what for whatever reason, the UK has really good research, good stories, good stuff. They look at this a lot more, probably because it's centralized and they can they can do these sorts of things and get these sorts of studies. Mm-hmm. And the, I don't know something about their press too. It just seems a little bit more um, interested in this topic. In the healthcare. Yeah. 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 It is. So what's on your mind? We, you know, I've been rattling off since you got here, and uh, <laughs> we forgot to we forgot to catch up on. We emptied your brain. Yeah, you know, I'm in the process of moving. Yeah, right now, right? Mm-hmm. You packing? No, I'm having professional packers. Mm, come. That's nice. <laughs> yes. That's lovely. Yes, I am. I I I was using the word downsizing because I'm trying to like I could I'm going to save some money and and move to a smaller apartment, and I'm really excited about that. Actually, I'm not disappointed or unhappy at all. Mm-hmm. But I have a, a like a spiritual person who advises me sometimes, and she said, don't use the word downsizing because it doesn't sound right. She says, use the word freedom. Mm. So I like that. I didn't know you had a spiritual counselor. Yeah, it's a body talk type person. Tell me more about body talk. I don't know a lot about it. <laughs> Your body talks to her? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, you go and you talk about whatever you want to talk about mm-hmm. and they listen are you laying and, down and you're laying down uh-huh. and they give affirmation mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll touch like your forehead or your chest where your heart is or mm-hmm. your stomach where your gut is mm-hmm. just they'll pat it a little bit mm-hmm. and then they'll give you affirmations and then they give you know i again i've only been to three sessions mm-hmm. it was refer- it was recommended by a dear friend of mine Great. and i it i find it's it's sort of like therapy in a, in a way mm-hmm 
but it's um, it's better for me. Yeah. Right. And so the tapping, are they doing Reiki? Are they doing, are they doing? No, no, just uh, it's a touching thing. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe awesome. we'll do a little, maybe we'll try to get a body talker on the podcast. Cool. That'd be cool. So people can find out more about that. Yeah. I think that's probably a really good thing for future podcasts. So you're. Renee, f- Renee write that down, will you? Okay. So thanks. you're feeling freedom. You're creating yeah. freedom. She's help- She's giving me affirmations, like things like, uh, it's okay for you to uh, be normal or to think of yourself as normal mm. or uh, um, yeah, I forgot what the last one was. I, you know, I keep these little pieces of paper. She writes normal down versus me. what? Abnormal. Do you think of yourself as abnormal? Well, I am, but I'm trying not to. Oh, okay. Cause it's right. more empowering. Well, look what I do. Yeah. Am I the norm? No. No. Am I abnormal? Yeah. Are you special? Yeah, no, I mean that's what she's talking about. It's <laughs> right. I yeah. mean, look what cool. I do. Look, look, look at the the. How much easier my life would be if I was uh, making sandwiches. I know. I always <laughs> laugh. I don't know if you've talked about that on the I podcast. Did. I did. You I did. did. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I just work uh, nine to five making sandwiches. That Go one. home at night. No phone calls. Yeah, I get that part. But no texting. No write, letter writing. I think you'd be bored. Nope. Yeah. We would do you and I would do the uh, the submarine sandwich podcast. <laughs> Talk about what new new things new new trends in sandwiches. I have to tell you, you wouldn't listen. Probably not. Oh man, sorry. I don't even like sandwiches. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be your sidekick. Even even uh, even um, <laughs> uh, what do they call animal style? You don't like sandwiches, animal style. Mm-mm. Okay. I like melts, but they're not good for me. So, like right. a tuna melt or mm. yeah, animal style just means no bread. I think right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk about our births. How many births since last time? You go first. You want me to talk about mine? Um, yeah. Well, we this is your podcast. Oh, it is. Wow. It is your podcast. The gross podcast is Bliss's podcast. Um, so we did one together, and it was really quick. She had a breach with you the first time, and um, so that was awesome. Right? In her bathtub. She wasn't expecting to deliver in her bathtub. She actually didn't want to No, deliver. she didn't want a water birth. <laughs> but she was laboring in her bathtub. And uh, by the time we got there, uh, it was time for her to push. And she pushed a couple times. I know. I think I was there. I think... Uh, uh, Ten minutes before me or something. I, I got there. I think she delivered about 35 minutes after we got there. Mm-hmm. Best thing ever. A fast birth like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then did, did, did the husband give us shots of something again? You. <laughs> oh, I did it, yeah. We did it with after the first birth, too. Oh, you did? Well, the first birth was during a meteor shower. So after the birth, we went outside and we, and uh, oh, that's the cool. husband and I were looking for watching uh, meteors. They were like two to three a minute. We could see them. That's and cool. then uh, this one wasn't. No. So, but we still had. Wasn't that some, exciting? Some sort of whiskey, I think. Which yeah. Was nice. You were like, I like sipping. And he's like, no, this is the kind you just shoot it. And I did. Yeah. After the birth. After the birth. After yes. the birth. Um, that was that was nice. Yep. That was mm-hmm. very nice. And then um, I had a mom have a very long, long, long labor. She's, she uh, started contracting on Monday morning and didn't have her baby until Wednesday evening. Um, and it was beautiful. Also water birth. Uh, waited until she had the urge to push and had maybe two pushes into her own hands in the water. Quite beautiful. 
However, afterwards we had a very uh, fast hemorrhage, probably the fastest hemorrhage I've, I've seen people bleed more than that with you. Um, but I haven't, I haven't had one that quick. I would say it was about a thousand cc's in less than four minutes. So I've made some adjustments to my setup because I really didn't love, um, how we were set up and what ended up happening. Well, let's tell, tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of times we talk about making sure that there is a place for them to lay down next to the birth tub, and they have a really small house. They don't have a couch. They kind of just had one place to sit in the living room, which is where the birth tub fit. And um, when I was getting her out of the tub, I actually thought about laying her down on that, but it had, like, this really beautiful white, um, like, you know, fluffy kind of thing on there. And I looked at it and I was like, mm, that's not going to work. It's not ready. So we're going to have to walk her down the hall. And um, she literally stood up to get out of the tub just because, you know, she was trying to breastfeed and it just didn't seem very comfortable for her. And I said, you want to get out? And she said, sure. And everything was fine. And she stood up and her placenta literally dropped out into the water. And by the time I looked over to find her placenta, the tub was already filled with blood. We couldn't see. So we were getting her out, and she said she started to feel kind of shocky, um, dizzy, and Hayes um, it was really interesting. I, I, we can laugh about it now, but Hayes was like, okay, I want you to stomp your feet. I think it's just to kind of get you to be grounded. And she looked at Hayes, and she was like, uh-huh, and like shook her head, yes, but nothing was connecting. And I was like, oh, man. So um, she finally did it and Hayes started to walk her down the hall. And I, when we, when the placenta came out, we grabbed the bowl and Hayes was looking for a place to put all of our stuff that we put in the bowl so we can be mobile. And I said, don't worry about it, just dump it out and grab the bowl. And then when I had to go back and find the needle, the Pitocin, the, you know, the smelling mm. salts, the alcohol wipe, I was you know, searching for stuff. And it just was unnecessary. So you should have, you should have it on a tray or a second bowl, right? Well, this is what I decided to do. I went and got um, this thing from the container store that I have for my meds. And it basically is like a tackle box that you open it up and mm -hmm. then it kind of, um, the shelves spread yeah, like, out. like a tackle box. Yeah, right? like a tackle box. Toolbox. So that's going to be my emergency bag. So everything will already be set up and I'll know exactly where each thing is because it has compartments. So it, even in a bowl, sometimes I feel like we kind of have to dig for things and this way I know my Pitocin's on the left. That's really smart. My needles are on the upper part, you know? So no matter that's what. That's really smart. A lot, yeah. of, a lot, of, a lot of midwives I've, I know have done something like that. They'll have a They'll have a soft bag instead of a hard bag, but they'll have a soft thing with that opens up and mm -hmm. has different compartments in it. It has all their stuff in it. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. The other thing too is when I when I have the tub in a different room from the bedroom. Yeah. We almost always recommend that we have the plastic sheet over. I know this, and yeah. I just didn't do it I on know. this one, and so now in my head I'm like, well, that's not something that's going to go like you know not you, you be gotta, you gotta You got to cover the chair or the or the yeah. couch or the, yeah. or the whatever the bean bag or whatever else is in that room. Agreed. Agreed. So you have a place where you can lay them down, right? Because you know, I mean, we acted really fast. It we got the medication in her. We got twenty um, units of pitocin and eight hundred milligrams of miso in her rectum. Um, all simultaneously and she stopped bleeding pretty quickly but I was ready to do bimanual compression I went in for clots I did you know um I thought if this doesn't stop we're definitely gonna call 911 and do bimanual so um that was interesting 
Yeah, it was a definitely an interesting one. And I think probably in the future, I don't normally draw a pit and just have it ready, but I think on a long labor like that, it wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, when someone's been contracting for three days. Yeah, it, it probably isn't. Um, you know, we hate wasting stuff, but ultimately you buy a, a, a little box of placenta, uh, Pitocin, there's 20 in there usually, I think, in a box. Mm-hmm. You have to buy at least that many. And then sometimes they expire anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was my birth. It was beautiful. It was. Uh, she never. She never got more than just being dizzy when she was standing. When we got her in the bed, her blood pressure was fine. Everything was like she didn't yeah, have it, any it, of the shots. It can be symptoms. scary, which is why you get uh, doctors at ACOG giggling about home birthing because mm-hmm. that kind of stuff can't happen. But mm-hmm. we're prepared to do that. I actually carry another. I don't carry methogen. I don't think you carry methogen either anymore. No, because it's, it's not true. shape state. It's it, yeah. shelf stable. Yeah. yeah. But I do carry transanemic acid, mm-hmm. all right, which is uh, the generic name for that. I think the trade name for that is Lysteto, but but it's IV. It's transanemic acid, and it's it, it's uh, it, pre- it prevents clots from breaking down. And there's some good studies about it that you give it intravenously, so you got to start an IV. Yeah. And then you give it intravenously, and it's supposed to work really well um, to stop bleeding. So that would be maybe for like a trickle bleed or something like that. No, no, as part of your as part of your, you know, your uh, armory against bleeding. If you're having somebody bleeding that much and you're you give them some mesoprostol and you've given them a couple of doses of pitocin or whatever else, you can. I would just go ahead and give that as well. I haven't had to use it yet. Yeah, it just takes time to set up an IV and do all of that. You know. Right. But, right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it depends, and and, and sh- we need to be ready for that too. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are better at starting IVs than others, and we mm-hmm. don't get a lot of practice if you mm-hmm. haven't done it. Like, you know, I did a lot of it as a as a medical uh, resident and medical student. That was sort of back in those days. Uh, they didn't have IV teams; they had us. Mm-hmm. So the medical students did all the IVs, or the resident, you know, the interns did all the IVs, and so we got pretty good at it. You know, my it's been a while, but I still give intravenous medication sometimes in my office, so I still get some practice mm-hmm. at doing that when I'm doing some procedures and stuff. So, um, but yeah, some some people are more, are not as comfortable at starting an IV, but it really should be one of those things that should be one of the first things we do, not one of the last things we do. We shouldn't be hesitant to start an IV. Yeah. As a matter of fact, speaking of the birth we talked about earlier with the birth in the water where she didn't really want to be in the water and mm-hmm. shots of whiskey afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, we, you and I both went down there two days earlier because she was having a lot of contractions because she'd been throwing up all day. Yeah, she had the stomach. And we weren't it. sure because she's a multip, so we went down there and she was just completely, you could just look at her, you could tell she was dehydrated. Yeah. So we gave her, I think just a, li- we gave her a liter and a half of fluid. Mm-hmm. And she fell asleep, slept all night long, and then went into labor two days later and was feeling great. So it was really a good thing that we were able to go to her house and give her the IV fluid. Yeah. You know, actually, one of the cool parts of her story was that she had called um, the midwife that she had last time that's moved out of state and just kind of asked her advice because she wanted to get her labor going. And she had been walking all day and nothing was really working. And, you know, the midwife basically said, you got to just surrender and let go. And so she's like, okay, kind of like resolved that she couldn't make this thing happen. And 30 minutes later, her bag broke. Oh, on, on the on the night of labor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, see, I had a couple births. Uh, the the one that has most effect on my life right now was uh, in early April was a woman having her first baby. And uh, she had a really great supportive team. 
of friends there. Her husband was there. Uh, Beth was there. Our student was there. Uh, I had a medical student, by the way, which was... Oh, no, our student wasn't... She didn't want it because she had so many people there. Student wasn't there for that birth. Your student or Beth's student? No student was mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she ended up giving birth on her bed, which was great. But the key about this was that that she, her husband had just gotten a job in Scottsdale, Arizona. And he had been driving back and forth. And so she happened to go into labor on a weekend, which was great because he was... He got there a few hours before she delivered. Mm-hmm. But since they're moving to Scottsdale, they were going to then they had a lease that went on for many more months and they were going to try to figure out who to sublet their apartment to. Mm -hmm. And I really wasn't looking, but it turns out that, you know, I'm taking over their apartment. So that worked out great. I thought it was funny when you told me that story and you're like, I know where the bathroom is. I know, I know, I know the, I know the water pressure, (laughs) you know, I know where the garbage is. Yeah. It's kind of like it it made it easier to move in there because I knew how things worked. Yeah. You take a long time to make decisions or change. Well, change is hard. I've watched you over the 10 years or whatever. We've known each other now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that makes sense to me knowing you that, you know, because it just all fell into place. Yeah. You're like, and you're like, okay, I, I know this already. I, I feel comfortable. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think as, as life gets, you know, as you, as life progresses, progresses, yeah. It's a way of, a way of saying as you get older, um, (laughs) familiarity is important. It's, you know, the, the whole idea of moving, there's some great things about it. I mean, I've already taken six full garbage bags of clothing and stuff to Goodwill. Mm-hmm. And I've got more mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff that I haven't worn in years. It's good. Yeah, it's purging is, uh, is, is a really good thing. I'm going to get rid of dishes. I'm going to get rid of some furniture. I got somebody coming to pick. I got an extra bed now that I really don't need anymore. I'm going to have someone come pick up that. I saw you. I put, yeah, I've already found somebody to take it. I posted on Facebook this morning, I think it was. Yeah. And somebody's already going to come and get it. It's so. a comfortable bed. Right. But it was scary a little bit how Facebook knew immediately that I was selling something. Even though I never, I just said, I have this bed, does anybody want it? Mm-hmm. And they put me under the seller category. Somehow it came up. So I had to add a correction to my, or edited my thing. It said, uh, Facebook is wrong because I'm not selling it. I'm <laughs> giving it away free. for free. <laughs> but is it, yeah, we, could t- we could spend a whole podcast talking about what's going on with the tech industry and the, and the, and the surveillance and the... And the uh, um, invasion of privacy, the selling of your information, the shadow banning of people that they don't like, the the powerful these three powerful companies: uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. Well, Instagram's owned by Facebook, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Twitter and and I guess YouTube is a third one. YouTube is owned by somebody who's who owns YouTube. Google. Google. As yeah. I say, Google's another yeah. So one. Google, yeah. So Google, Twitter. And Facebook, those are the three big ones. And they, you know, have 85 to 90% of the search Google does. They, you know, Facebook and, and, and Instagram pretty much have social media locked up. And if they decide they don't want you on there. Um, or what you have to say. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a friend of mine is, 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 is what's going on in Oregon with the vaccine issue. Um, you know, she puts pictures of puppies on her Facebook posts about vaccines. So that they don't realize. So it doesn't. It's not immediately flagged or something mm. like that. I think that this is a way of. I don't know if it's smart, and I don't know if I should be talking about it. But <laughs> She's like, damn it, Stu. <laughs> but um, yeah, she has to because she can't use the word. She calls it the V word. She can't say the word vaccine in her blogs about vaccines. 
It's crazy. Yeah. It's like censorship. Oh, and, yeah. and, and the things that are coming out of the government in, in Oregon, which you, and, and also in Sacramento, which you consider to be states that are supposedly progressive, the, the totalitarian nature of what they're doing and, and uh, the mandating of, um, of vaccines and in, in, in order to uh, remain socially active in your, in your world. Now, if you don't have vaccines, you're not going to be able to do certain things in these states. And we, you know, we did a podcast on it recently. Yeah, so, it's pretty scary. Yeah, it's just getting, uh, getting worse. So anyway, that was one birth. And then I had a, um, a woman where I, I, I picked her up in the last few weeks of her pregnancy because she had polyhydramnios. Mm-hmm. It was her first baby. She had polyhydramnios. Um, what was it? What did it measure? Well, I, I, got, it, I got it to be 28 mm-hmm. centimeters of fluid uh, near term. And she went one day and she got 38 by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I went to her house the same day because I didn't believe it. And it was only 28. And she, two days later, she went to see another person. And she, he also got 28. So it's 28. So, she, so the midwife didn't feel it's outside the scope of a midwife practice to deal with that. But that's something that, that because she has poly doesn't mean she can't deliver at home. And we, you and I collaborated on one recently as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we break it down a little bit, polyhydramnios a little bit, because I did a little bit of research. And what are the concerns? What, what do we need to well, be thinking about Well, the concerns are that the, head or the presenting part's going to be unengaged and that if the membranes rupture suddenly, there'll be this, this gush of fluid along mm-hmm. with it could come a cord or an arm or a foot or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the concern. And the, an unstable lie sometimes for that, for that well, concern Well, it too. has to be an unstable lie for that mm-hmm. to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. if the head's engaged, then, then you really don't have to worry about, about prolapsing anything. And you can tell by ultrasound using color flow Doppler whether there's any cord down low by the head. But if, there's, but if something isn't engaged, then that, that's a possibility that can happen. And so... One of the things you can do in labor when someone gets to four or five centimeters is you can do what's called needling the membranes. Mm-hmm. It's where you take a tiny little spinal needle, mm-hmm. you get 21 gauge, maybe 22, 18, somewhere around there, 20 gauge, and you take your finger and you use the, uh, to guide the needle in and you just poke the, the uh, membranes a couple of times and let the fluid, and keep your hand there and let the fluid slowly leak out. Oh, you don't actually plunger it. You just let it No, no, leak. you just poke a hole in it, mm-hmm. and you let the fluid slowly leak out. Mm-hmm. And as she's contracting over the next 10 minutes or so or five minutes, you know, the, usually the presenting part will then begin to come down. And once it's come down, then it's not a problem. So you keep your hand in there to feel? Generally, mm-hmm. until, until you're sure that uh, there's not going to be a gush or anything else. Yeah, mm-hmm. I usually keep your hand in there for a little bit. Uh, didn't have to do that in this case because... Um, so you re- came with your ultrasound machine probably, right? I came to her house. With your ultrasound machine? In, the, in labor, she had actually ruptured her membranes in labor and mm-hmm. had a normal, didn't have a terrible gush of fluid. And the interesting thing about this person was that everyone was, you know, not everyone, but people will freak out about polyhydramnios. The, the upper limits of normal fluid at term is like 22, 24 centimeters it's considered the, I don't know if what you read, I don't know what number. 24 is supposedly when, when you're supposed to consider it poly. Okay, so above. 24. So here's a woman with an f- amniotic fluid index of 28. Uh-huh. That's four centimeters of fluid too much. Mm-hmm. So she's almost not poly. Right. Yet, because of the rules, she would have had to have been transferred her care to a hospital and go, undergone probably an induction because everybody would have been nervous about these things that... That again, you, they're, not, they're not individualizing the case. This is not a woman who I was significantly worried about rupturing with a cord prolapse or anything like that. It's just a clinical judgment of where the head is, 
Mm-hmm. And when you scanned her, yeah, or examined her, mm-hmm. right? You can mm-hmm. feel it with either Leopold's maneuver. You can feel the head is down where it's supposed to be. When you scan, you can see that it's down there. And then if you have to, you do a, you can do a vaginal exam. You can kind of tell, you know, is the head blottable or does it actually stay there? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she ended up having a, a, a normal labor. Uh, she ended up getting exhausted in the second stage. We did put a vacuum on. Did not spray the wall. Good. Yeah, it's a good thing and, to try uh, not to do. Yeah, and she had a great birth. Mm-hmm. And I saw her postpartum. The baby was a little bit orange, but uh, but otherwise doing well. She was doing well, and you know, she her her birth story was, you know, it wasn't exactly as she dreamed, but it was certainly better than if she would have had to go to the hospital. What what varied from what she was hoping? Well, for? a vacuum. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then stitches. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sometimes we deviate from our plan, unfortunately. Right. Um, but with polyhydramnios, we would have to have you there if my client is at term, if we consider Yeah, that. that's part of California law, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because it's um, it's not considered in the range of normal. And there would be some people with polyhydramnios, so I wouldn't feel comfortable telling them that they can have a home birth. Yeah. Tell, say right. more about that. Well, again, if the f- if the fluid level is in the mid thirties and the baby's, you know, n- not in a vertex presentation, not in a stable presentation, um, yeah, that's a that's a potential problem, and that person might be somebody who's better off going to the hospital, getting induced when she gets to be three four centimeters dilated, at that point, then gently needling needling the membrane so that you have a controlled drainage or leakage of fluid. You wouldn't feel comfortable doing that at home, is what you're saying. No, I, I think that, uh, you know, you have to take each case separately, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And if we wait, the problem is waiting for it to happen at home. I don't do that because we don't induce people at home. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you, you would, I wouldn't feel comfortable waiting for her to go into labor because no, because at some point she could rupture her membranes before labor or she could be two, three centimeters dilated and not even really know it. Yeah. And then rupture memories. You also have to concern yourself with people with poly, like with twins, of a slight increased risk of uterine atony afterwards, where, where there might be um, more need for, you know, watching her for postpartum hemorrhage. Right. One of my um, midwifery friends said that they had somebody who was poly that was fifty at term. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that's that's huge. And the other thing that happens when you have sudden decompression of the uterus, of course, is the risk of a placental abruption, which is. Mm-hmm. Always in the back of your mind when, mm-hmm. when something like that That's happens. another good point. Yeah. Okay, great. That's good information. So that, did you find anything else out in your uh, in your reading about that? Oh, just, you know, just really differentiating the causes, the potential causes of why. Um, so gestational diabetes is one, which we screened her for. Um, anomalies, um, which you said was... Um, esophageal atresia? Or du- uh, esophageal or duodenal atresia, where the, mm-hmm. where the baby can't swallow... Or there's a blockage after the stomach. And so, because the baby's cycle of fluid is to, you know, most of amniotic fluid at the end is fetal urine. It's mostly almost all fetal urine. And, right. And so they pee and they swallow their own pee and mm-hmm. that's how it works. Mm-hmm. If they can't swallow, that's one of the things. But if you had a 20-week scan and they have a stomach bubble that's normal, then you really don't have to worry about that being the problem. Yeah. And then the reverse of that would be... If the kidneys weren't working properly. That would be oligohydramnios. Which is not enough fluid. Correct. So, but you were impressed with my palpation skills, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. I know. Tell, tell, tell people about it. Bra- so, brag a little bit. Uh, I was impressed. Um, so the week... Because her funnel height was only 38. But she was 34 weeks. Yeah. And the week before she... Or the two weeks before that, she was only a little bit above. And now she had jumped four. But her uterus above. was still also soft. Very soft. Yeah. Um, Not tense like you might find with people with significant poly. Yeah. Uteruses are but she had tense. been traveling and she had a lot of um, lower... Ext- extremity edema so obviously you kind of pay attention but also knowing that she had been traveling and it's something that often happens for her but that's another potential sign of poly so it just felt you know usually when I when I notice that a woman has you know ample fluid I'll just talk about it that way I won't be like oh my god you have tons of fluid and I work a lot with um a, chi- a local chiropractor, Dr. Berlin, who who palpates babies as well, and sometimes he'll he'll tell my clients, "You have a lot of fluid," which is not bad, but just you know, I try and not say "big baby" or "a lot of fluid." I just don't like to scare people. So, but last time I felt her, I was like, "Hmm, I'm going to pay attention to this, and I'm going to see what happens in two weeks." And when I saw her this time, it kind of felt like if you were holding a a balloon that you could still kind of put pressure into um, that was filled with water. And then it had like a, a ping pong ball or something inside. So when you, when you feel it, mostly you're feeling water. Then every once in a while you could feel that ping pong ball, but not, what's the ping pong ball? Like uh, a, a baby a, part. part. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like maybe the foot or something, but it was very hard to get my hands around the baby the way I normally can and feel the back mm-hmm. and feel the parts and, um, and and then when the fundal height also confirmed that and measured large, I was like, we really need to take a, a look. Yeah, and she had an AFI of thirty. Yeah, and when you first put your hands on, you were like, eh, I'm not so worried. I think I know. Yeah, but it was it was because uh, it was so soft. Mm-hmm. I expected it to be more tense, but I also mm-hmm. also expect because I think this is what we call idiopathic uh, poly. Hydramnios. In other words, we don't really have a reason for it. Right. Generally, what happens in those cases is that they, they get further along; it goes down, not up. So yeah. I don't expect that, you know, we gave her precautions, what to watch for, sudden increase in her size or tenseness, anything like that. But I suspect over the next month that it, you know, that the fluid may have reached its peak and may slowly be, surely start to go back down. I really hope for her right. sake, because she had a beautiful home birth uh, before the midwives even got there last time. So it would be a bummer if she couldn't have a home birth this yes, time. Yes, but we are smart practitioners. We're not cowboys, right? Definitely not a cowboy. Right, we do yeah. things or cowgirls. We do we do things, <laughs> cow people. Uh, we do things that are, you know, that we find within reason. Although maybe you know, again, circle way back again. Many of my colleagues think what we do is ridiculous. All right, that's because I think you you often fear what you don't understand, and the, and the way people express fear is to often laugh about it. It's you sort of get mm-hmm. nervous. You get get nervous, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll and I'll bet you that that laughter at the ACOG meeting when they talked about Meghan Markle and her having a doula and having a you know a water birth and and them laughing about it was was it was more you know maybe it was just sarc maybe it was just cynical sarcastic laughter, but a lot of it I think would make it's just they're uncomfortable. Yeah, and they don't know. You're like you said, you fear what you don't know. They just don't know. So. Yeah. Anyways, good podcast. Good time. Good to see you. It wasn't as gross as we thought. <laughs> you wouldn't it's too let bad, me go you, there. Can only, you can only have podcasts 144 one time. This is true. We can never have 144 again. 
this was a once in a lifetime moment. Do people even shared. know? I mean, do, do they even teach like uh, measures and weights anymore? What do you mean? Like, do people what do people know what a gross is? I don't a know. A dozen dozen? I mean, do people actually know that? I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I bet you my kids don't know that either. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, let's see what you can learn on Dr. Sue's podcast. You can learn measures and weights as well as as well as stuff about polyhydramnios. And, and the last time, I think we'll probably be mentioning Meghan Markle. Bye, Meghan. Bye, Meghan. <laughs> All right. So thanks again. This has been podcast number 144 on Dr. Stu's podcast. Again, find us on your podcast app. Give us five stars on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Uh, send comments to, uh, let's see, where you ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. You can reach me. Uh, Bliss, you can reach you for questions at? Birthingbliss at hotmail.com. And in the next podcast coming up, we'll be do a, doing a couple of uh, letters from some of our readers. Again, thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.